Welcome to the Faith Debate on News Radio 930 WFMD and online at WFMD.com. Uh, I'm Troy Skinner. Thank you for spending part of your Sunday morning with me and our special guest again back this week, Dr. Russell T. Fuller. You can find me online at Household of Faith in Christ.com and you can find Dr. Fuller online at Russell T. Fuller. Dot com And uh, that's an important thing we'll explain before we're done with our conversation with them of why that website's an important thing for you to kind of visit and check out. But we've been kind of talking, we've transitioned to a little bit of his life story and his conversion stories. But the first couple of shows were focusing on a very dramatic, highly charged moment where he had to make a stand for biblical truth. He did so at a seminary, a very highly regarded uh, seminary in the Southern Baptist uh, Convention tradition of things, and ended up costing him his job. It was that dramatic of a situation, and so he needed to uh, take a stand for what was right, come what may, and if you're going to fire me, fire me, and they did, and there's a really cool, interesting backstory on all of that, and we talked about that over the course of the previous shows. I would encourage you to find those online. So then we transitioned into what was it that prepared him to take that kind of a stand, and we learned last week that Dr. Fuller did not grow up in a Christian household, so he wasn't a believer in Christ as a child. He attended church with a friend in high school, heard the gospel for at least the first time that he can recall, maybe, and uh, like, wow, that's true. And uh, he was all in pretty quickly, it sounds like, started going to church weekly, pretty much immediately, started studying the Bible, reading it, went to college after he graduated from high school and started studying ancient biblical Greek so he could study the Bible in a, in a more direct fashion with the original language and that sort of stuff. And so he's well on his way now to, well, I guess his career path is beginning to form, although you majored in business. Right. So you graduate with a business degree at age 21, 22, probably something like that. And do you immediately go after a master's degree or do you start to dabble in the business world or what happened? Yeah, one year in business, I was at uh, Georgia Pacific. They had just moved their headquarters to Atlanta. So this is about, what, 82, I think it was, 1982. So I spent a year there and there, I noticed a lot of the employees, if you cut them, they would bleed in Georgia Pacific blue, you know? And they were all in on the company, which, you know, not a bad thing, not a bad thing. They want to be good employees, and that's that's good. But what excited me was not, uh, you know, lumber and, and, and so forth. It was I'd go home at night and I'd, start to, I'd be reading the Greek New Testament again. And so I was more driven in that area. And I just realized from just listening to my fellow employees there at Georgia Pacific, this is not for me. So I went back to school, then I started Hebrew, and that really got me going. So I went from Bob Jones to two Jewish institutions, and they were not conservative at all. You could, yeah, because present-day Judaism, generally speaking, it, the, the dominant version, as I understand it, is reform yes. Judaism, which is different than reformed theology in Christian circles. Very different. Reform Judaism is pretty liberal. Very liberal. Right? So politically, theologically, like across the board. Yeah, everywhere. And so you went to a school like that, yes, so that you could learn the language and sure. the and the rabbinic traditions and all those sorts of things. Yeah, or? most it was just mostly the languages, uh, but uh, I, again, I uh, learned a lot of ancient Near Eastern literature. But we would read it in the Akkadian language. We did a lot of Hebrew. So I, I went there because they were very good at language and so forth. And obviously the Jews know Hebrew like no one else. And so I wanted to learn it from them. And so I went from a very conservative school to a very liberal school. I guess when I study, I have to study in extremes. I know no other way, you know. And uh, But I enjoyed my time there, too. You know, I had a great time. My professors, I appreciated them very much. 
uh, one of my professors, uh, he only lectured one day because he was getting old at the time, but uh, he still had the tattoo from the number of the concentration camp that he was wow. in. And uh, had another professor that on um, Kristallnacht in Germany uh, had to go in the river and get the uh, Torah scroll that the Nazis. Had. So I, I studied with some very interesting people. Uh, and and hearing, yeah, hearing those stories, oh. those testimonies, that probably was formative in giving oh, you yeah. a strong spine for standing for what's right and yeah. true, and you know the good and the beautiful, right? Because oh, they yeah. had these ugly stories and they stood for, oh, yeah. even though they, they weren't standing for Christian thinking. That's like, let me tell you this one story. Um, I was taking a class in Akkadian, and let me tell you what that is. Akkadian is the language of the Babylonian and the Assyrians. Okay? It looks like chicken scratch, but it's called cuneiform. It looks like chicken scratch. And so me and one professor, it was just me and him, and we would go in a room, shut the door, and usually for the first few minutes, he would ask me questions about Christianity, and I would ask him. So it was a very interesting. Then we'd finally get to what we were supposed to do. And one time, um, he comes in there, and he goes, I got an interesting invitation this week. And I went, well, what's your invitation? And he was a world-class scholar in Akkadian and in ancient Near Eastern literature. He, he's one of the you know, foremost authorities in the world on this. But there was a German scholar who was known as the man, okay, named von Soden was his name, Wolfram von Soden. And von Soden was a die-in-the-wool Nazi, and I mean a real Nazi. He joined the Nazi party in the 20s. It's funny, because I didn't know exactly where the story was going, but when you said his name, I was like, that sounds like a really good villain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is a villain, too. <laughs> von Soden was a, um, he's the, I mean, he is the foremost authority on ancient Near Eastern literature. Now, he's dead today, but he was still alive when I was in school. And... He was a thoroughgoing Nazi. I mean, a real Nazi, because you know a lot of people join the Nazi Party after Hitler to keep their jobs, <laughs> you know, in the in, in so forth. I think a lot of Americans can relate these days. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And but von Soden joined the Nazi Party. You know, Hitler comes to power in '33, but he joins the Nazi Party, I believe, in the very late '20s. I mean, he was a true believer, early adopter, uh, early adopter. And he was such a he would write these scathing. Um, Articles about certain scholars that could put those scholars in a concentration camp. So after the war, Germany actually kicks this man out of the country. He has to live the rest of his life in Austria. But he, te but his teacher was a Jew, <laughs> a man named Bino Landsberger. Landsberger um, asked von Soden, "Are you going to take me away?" And not you, Herr Professor. No, no, no. But they do. They throw him out of the country, goes to Turkey. From there, he goes to Chicago, to the University of Chicago. And that's where my professors take him, my Jewish professors. Okay, they take him. And uh, But in the late, I believe it was in the late 80s, because he's the, the, von Soden is the most famous scholar in this area. They allow him to come to Philadelphia for three days. And then he's got to leave the country. Okay, so that the scholars can meet him because he's, again, the foremost authority. But for all these years, they would never let him in America because of his Nazi background. Well, the invitation came to my professor to go see him. And so I looked at my professor and I said, are you going to go? He goes, Russell, you know what I think of von Soden, the best scholar. There's no doubt. But I cannot go. I will not go. And I said, there you go. 
Because <laughs> it was like a question. If you go to meet him, it's like you're honoring him, right? And he didn't want to send a signal that I'm honoring this Nazi who did a, like hardcore Nazi, not just yeah. not just words. No, no. Not just an ad hominem, you know, generic no. attack calling somebody a Nazi who isn't an actual Nazi. This guy was a, was a, was a true Nazi, and I told my professor, I said, I'm proud of you. For, but he, but he made it. He made a really good. So there's somebody who gave you an example. Sure. So I'm trying to connect all these things because if you're a parent or a grandparent listening to this, or you're wrestling with things yourself, think back about the people you've admired, who have taken a stand, who did the right thing, who who passed up an opportunity to meet somebody who's really famous and good at what they do, but you didn't want to send the wrong signal and they're gonna you're gonna pass. Think about these things because if he had gone, he would have felt diminished. Yeah. Great. And so he missed out on something that was a cool opportunity, maybe, but at the expense of being diminished, it wasn't worth it. So you get your master's degree. And at that point, as you're in your master's program, do you know the academic route is the way you're going? You want to get yeah, into by being... the time I really do. Uh, though, again, I love preaching and I'm, so I'm preaching at some churches as well and teaching Sunday school, things of that nature. And uh, so I finished my degree. I, I finally get a job at a small school in Western Kentucky called Midcontinent. It's no longer around. And two years into that, you know, I get hired at Southern, and I teach there for 22 years. And uh, but then I get fired after the 22nd year there. Yeah, and again, we discussed. That. And where'd you get your doctorate? I got it at Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati, but of course they have they have campuses in Jerusalem, New York, Los Angeles. But they're the probably the foremost school for Reformed Judaism in the world. And what was your dissertation on? Babylonian legal documents from the time of Hammurabi. Wow, I don't think you could pay enough money for a sleep aid like that. <laughs> You're not kidding. I'll say one thing about about those. When I uh, when I was translating these things, I I thought the first time I'd ever heard of a prenuptial agreement to me that was such a foreign concept was from Donald Trump. But believe it or not, in Babylonian legal documents, they have prenuptial agreements, uh, and one of them. You're not calling Donald Trump a Babylonian, are no, you? No, 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 that's not even true. He was the first one I ever heard to use a uh, prenuptial agreement. You know. And but in the old Babylonian stuff, at one time in, in one of them, a uh, the son-in-law has to keep the mother-in-law as part of the prenuptial agreement. So hmm. part of the marriage agreement is he's got to take care of the mother-in-law. So there's some interesting things in, in those laws. <laughs> hmm. we, we haven't talked about, and you might not want to, and if you're not comfortable going in a more overtly personal path, then that's fine and I can shift gears. But I am curious, we haven't talked about, other than your parents, they took you to church a little bit, and we talked about that background, but your family life, do you have siblings? Yeah, I've got a sister. She uh, lives down in the Atlanta area, and uh, she, the Lord wonderfully saved her. She was pretty deep in sin, and uh, but the Lord changed her. And, and I'll tell you a quick story about this. She used to go to every rock concert, and Atlanta got every group you can imagine. And yeah, I, big city like that. Oh, yeah, all, all the tours are going to go through Atlanta. Oh, they're all going through there. And I could, I, like, uh, one of her favorite was Johnny Winter. I'm sure you, you remember that name. And and she asked me after she got saved. And, and I'm not listen. What I'm about to tell these viewers, I, I wouldn't do this again. And I was a young kid. It was a mistake on my part, really. She asked me. She goes, you know. I, I, I've, 
I bought these tickets to Johnny Winter, but you know, she got inside, she goes, you think I ought to go? And I said, you know, I guess so. Um, you know, I didn't want to tell her, no, don't go, you know, I, but yet I, I knew that was, that was her past life, you know. And so in many ways, I, I made a bad mistake there. Anyway, she goes. She comes back next week and she goes, I'll never go again. I said, why? She goes, I'm different. And it felt like everybody was staring at me. It was like I didn't belong there anymore. She never went back again. So she felt like a misfit. Absolute misfit. And she said it felt like everyone was staring at her like, why are you here? Who are you? Huh. And you know, when she said that to me, I knew then she had truly come to the Lord. This was no fake. I didn't think it was fake. Because she had no reason to fake it. You know, there was no profit. She was getting rid of her old sinful lifestyle and seeing it for what it was. What, you know, what fruit did you have, you know, in that way, you know? And, but when that happened, it just thrilled my soul. It was like, I'll never go back. And she never did. That's pretty cool. So it was the two of you growing up, you and your sister? Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. at that time she had already moved out of the house. But... Are you the older or the younger? I'm the younger. I'm the younger. The baby boy. I'm the baby boy. Were you pampered and spoiled? <laughs> she beat me up a few times, so no. Oh, okay, not by her, but... Okay, she, <laughs> she didn't pamper and spoil you. She was pretty tough. She was four years ahead of me. And uh, so... Ten-year-old so girl's going to whoop on a six-year-old boy every day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so... But the Lord wonderfully saved her. And so I'm, I'm uh, a proud, very much proud of my sister. I am. And you have children of your own. Yes, I have three children, and now I have five grandchildren. And again, uh, uh, very proud of them. Now, I would uh, obviously, I'd like to see my daughters um, doing a bit better in walking in with the Lord. My son's walking with the Lord in a way that I, 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 I feel very good about. But I tell you, my, my daughters, uh, they're, they're tremendous. Uh, I love them very, very much. They're, we, we do very well. But, you know, I would like to see them in church more often. I'd like to see them walking in the ways of the Lord. And I'm sure you're telling them that. Oh, they know. They, so they feel like you're nagging them or they're... No, I, I, they know. When they look at me, they know. They know. And I've said it to them. If you want to give me their numbers, I'll start nagging them with you if you want. No, I, I've told them. They, they know what I think. And so I don't have to... Uh, you know, uh, nag about it. But, but obviously you're close-knit with them and, oh, yes, and, and your children will give you some grandchildren. Oh, yeah. So very, very pleased with that. And uh, uh, so the Lord's been very good. And you had a couple of grandchildren added to the family this year, right? Yes, just recently. Within the last month, we have twins, a boy and a girl. And so, and my wife's a twin, so my wife is just, you know, she's uh, absolutely uh, thrilled about the twins. And so again, the Lord has been very good to us. How did you meet your wife? I met her in school uh, when I was studying at Bob Jones University. And so we, uh, after I graduated, she was a year ahead of me. After I graduated, we married at that time. So we've been married about 40 years now. So your background, once you became a believer and committed to the church, your background was mostly in a Southern Baptist context. Is that why you ended up at a Southern Baptist yeah, seminary? Especially after, um, after, while I was going to Hebrew Union, uh, I went to the Southern Baptists. My beliefs were closer to really some of their beliefs. You know, I'm more Calvinistic in my theology. They were heading more in a Calvinistic direction. Most Southern Baptists aren't 
Calvinists, are they though? I thought most Southern Baptists were Arminian. Am I misunderstanding that? No, I'd say probably most are, but in more in the academic area, like at certain schools, they were starting to head more in the Calvinistic direction because historically those schools were Calvinistic back in the day. And so they were getting back to their roots, so to speak. And so I was pleased with that. And, and they allowed for you know, a lot of differences of opinion on areas of eschatology, and I felt comfortable with that too. So they, they stressed certain doctrines that I liked that they stressed, and then others where they were more looser on, I, I liked their being loose on those doctrines. Now, now, when I say loose, I mean, you had to believe in a literal return of Christ. And so, yeah, absolutely. So it wasn't like you know, anything goes. But yet they would allow more flexibility, whether you're, you know, classical pre-mill, ah-mill, pre-trib, post-trib. They had more, and I'm like, good, you know, I, I have a position on that. But yet, I, I don't think that's one that we need to divide over, so. Those are a lot of theological buzzwords for the uninitiated, just yeah. know, we're talking about end times views, like the last days and yes. the big fancy theological term we've talked about a million times, well, millions in exaggeration, but a lot of times on the Faith Debate Show, eschatology, you know, how do we interpret the book of Revelation, for example, and other parts of the Bible as well, but a lot of people center their focus on the book of Revelation, so those are the kinds of things, and they're highly debated, and it's my opinion that, for the most part, they're not the kinds of things we should divide over. There are some rare exceptions, there are some things like, yeah, I think we might need to consider dividing over that, because that's a bridge too far, but Generally speaking, Christians can agree to disagree on some of these things and try to navigate through that. And there's something else you said, and I was going to follow up on it, and now I can't remember exactly what it was. So th tell me this. Uh, after your experience with Southern and you get your name dragged through the mud in Southern Baptist circles, I'm imagining you were at a Southern Baptist convention partnering church at the time. Right. And so all of that going on, did that kind of... I don't know, it forced you, but it, did it bring about a change where you're like, okay, I'm going to have to go find a different church? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The ch even the churches in Louisville, uh, Southern Baptist churches, uh, were not very happy with my going public about these matters. And so I was at a church where I was being put up to become an elder or a leader in that church. And after that, they were very upset with me. No, they did not want me to be in the leadership position. And... They were sending the right. They were sending the signals that we don't want you here anymore, and so I left. And really, uh, there was there was one other Southern Baptist church in town uh, of a man who was not a fan of critical race theory, and he's retired now. And he made it very clear he'd like me to come. And so you know, I was so there was one church, but most of the Southern Baptist churches in Louisville are. Uh, still not very happy after these all these years with my the stand that I took. In a sense, I exposed them because they're not standing up for the truth. They're not saying, yeah, what Fuller's saying is, you know, they're just trying to ignore it. They, they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to stand up for what's the truth on this. And so uh, they're not, you know, most Southern Baptist churches would have nothing to do with me now, you know. That's the voice of Dr. Russell T. Fuller, online at russelltfuller.com, a highly regarded, well, highly despised, but also highly regarded seminary professor. You know, we're going to talk about what he's doing 
now in his life in the next episode. That'll be our last episode in this series of, of this special conversation, the kind of fireside chat version of the faith debate. Incidentally, I want to declare buzzwords. Every time they come up, I like to just take a, a moment. We mentioned the word in this episode, Calvinist or Calvinistic a few times. There are different streams of thought within Protestantism and in the, in the Christian church and the Protestant church coming out of the Reformation and all that. And one of those big streams of thought is oftentimes called Reformed theology or Calvinism, those sorts of things. I'm not going to explain all that now, but in case you're like, what is that? Look up Calvinism, look up Reformed theology, and you'll find out what that is in distinction from some of the other views. Again, Christians can disagree about some of those things, too. We don't have to put up the dukes and fight to the death on all of those issues, although some people are all too prone to want to do that. Um, just a couple of minutes, like we've about three minutes maybe left in this episode, and we talked about you felt it wise to move on from a Southern Baptist church. So the last thing I feel like to close the door on that part of the conversation over these previous episodes, and I don't know if you, yeah, I'm gonna force you to try to be really concise on this because I don't want it to be, we're gonna bash the SBC. But in just the next minute or two, what hope is there for the future of the Southern Baptist Convention? Is there one? Where is it going? Can it be rescued from a conservative theological standpoint, or is it just given over and it's now joined all the mainline traditions now, and we just got to surrender to that truth and come up with a different strategy moving forward? What do you think? Well, you know, obviously, if the Lord were to um, do a very special work of grace, yeah, the Southern Baptist Convention could be saved. But it would be my opinion that uh, the theological, I'll call it theological rot, in the Southern Baptist Convention, or let's compare it to a cancer, I believe we're at stage four. And I really don't believe that, again, unless the Lord does something that we have not seen in a long, long time, that the Southern Baptist Convention is heading toward... Uh, Apostasy. I think it's in uh, process, but it's very deep now. And so uh, I don't see it pulling out. I, I think it's, um, it, again, we can't even come to grips and, and, and say things like we have a, the, the, the last president of the Southern Baptist Convention would, would literally plagiarize his sermons. And if you go on YouTube, they have these videos where one preacher's preaching a sermon and then Ed Letton, word for word, preaching the same sermon. And yet, Southern Baptists can't say a word about this. You know, they don't, the leadership of the convention doesn't say a word about this. Um, this is um, this shows you how deep the rot, the theological rot is. There's a ton of corruption in the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, let me just tell you this real quick. We know more about the finances of Planned Parenthood than we do some of the uh, uh, Southern Baptist entities and their financial records. That's how bad it is. No transparency. Full of corruption. I could get. I could go on for you know many shows. Yeah, and there's a lot out there on that. If you want to look into Southern Baptist financial problems, yeah. then we can do that. And we're, we got to wrap up this episode, but hold the thought because we can start next episode with that. And then I do want to transition to what you're doing now. Okay. There's money involved, and there aren't enough Russell T. Fullers in the world, which is why the Southern Baptist Convention's in trouble. You know, if you don't mind me patting you on the back there. Uh, the guest on this show and the last few shows, and one more show to follow is Dr. Russell T. Fuller online at russelltfuller.com. 
WFMD.com. This is the Faith Debate online at WFMD.com. And I'm Troy Skinner. You can follow me and my church and all my social media accounts and all that sort of stuff at HouseholdOfFaithInChrist.com. Thanks so much for listening, spending part of your Sunday morning with us if you're listening on the radio or spending part of your life with us if you're listening to the podcast later. Until next time, 167 and a half hours from right about now, God bless.